Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know that when you watch documentaries and it's always somebody sitting down and having the mic clipped onto them? Yes. I think that's how the young people are doing the podcast intros these days. Well, we're in that. How's your first post reasons to be cheerful week been? Well, I have been quite struck by thoughts of I think we may be I think we overachieved on that on reports of our demise. <laughs> I think we sort of convinced people that we were stopping. I've had too many people saying to me, oh, I'm really sorry you stopped the podcast. And I, and I now have to say, oh, well, I mean, you know, yes, we have, but there's going to be a new one. And they say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because typically people leave it a long time between something ending and a reboot, don't they? We've, if you think about Frasier, well, I mean, what has that been, like 20 years or something? Yeah, we sort of rebooted rather quickly. It was It was a hard reboot. Yes. It was turning uh, it off and turning it back on again. Yes, exactly. Um, That's nice that people have said to you that, that they said it ended, though. Yes, there are people are. No, no one's come up to me and said, um, That's really great. You're finishing. <laughs> I had Libby, who worked in digital services in the House of Commons, say how sorry she was we were finishing. What are digital services in the House of Commons? Computers. Oh, so knowing your technical skills, I'm sure Libya is somebody you have quite a lot of interaction with then. Well, actually, I hadn't. I mean, thank you for being rude. Uh, that's <laughs> at least a theme that continues from the previous <laughs> podcast. Uh, but uh, she said how much she enjoyed it. That's so kind but of lovely. I think it's a sort of, I think we live in a primary colours world, so if we say we're ending the podcast... People then don't hear the words in its current form. Yeah, it sounds like sort of small print. Yes, which uh, maybe it is. But it's like some advert for crypto, which I've been hearing on. I think I've been listening to something. Can't remember what I've been listening to, and there, and it says you may lose all your money. 
And maybe they're relying on people not hearing that bit. And do they say that a bit very quickly and quietly at the end? Uh, they don't say that quickly, but it's like, you may lose all your money. I was like, that's not pretty <laughs> off-putting. Uh, uh, anyway, but it's sort of, we're still here, aren't we? We are still here. But we're in a sort of new low-tech retro chic. Yeah, that's hence the new artwork, which I made on Canva last night. I mean, you had it left over from the 1980s, actually. <laughs> It's 80s chic. <laughs> Do you think we're 80s chic? I don't know about the chic bit is the honest answer. We're, we're 80s. Yeah, yeah. But I think we were right in the middle of the normcore trend when that came along. What's normcore? Marks and Spencer's jumpers, slacks. When was that? Ten years ago. Right, okay. I can't even blame Gordon Brown for playing about that. <laughs> Uh, right, so so, what's your week been like? Um, my my week has been pretty uneventful. I am going out tonight, though. Oh, I am seeing my friend John for dinner, but he um he asked me to book the restaurant. How how do you feel about that when you're meeting somebody? Would you rather be the booker or not the booker? Not the booker. But then, what if they choose somewhere bad? You don't care. Yeah, because there's quite a lot of pressure of being the booker. This is it. I simultaneously don't want the pressure of choosing the restaurant, but also. I'm so controlling that I don't want somebody else to choose the restaurant and, and pick somewhere that I'm not going to like. Are you quite controlling? In some ways, yeah, especially with um, food. Every meal has to be a treat for me. I'm quite interested that you just really revealed yourself as controlling. I mean, I don't mean like in an abusive way to the people no, around No, 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 no. I don't think of you as controlling. I think of you as quite laid back. Really? Yeah. Well, But I... maybe, that's, maybe it's a sort of laid back exterior sort of, with a controlling norm core. <laughs> You're saying that I'm using the laid-back exterior possibly as a way of controlling a situation? It wasn't as sophisticated as that. No, it's just that you present as quite laid-back, but that maybe in a way that it hides sort of anxiety and so on. But, the, but you don't present at all as laid-back, and, <laughs> exactly. and, and then you don't care which restaurant you're going to. I'm sort of contemplating this. Yes. Uh, well, that's a nice thing to be doing anyway on a Sunday yeah. night. I really don't like We I went out to dinner last Sunday night and it was great because I really don't like Sundays. It has such a sort of, we're recording this on a Sunday, uh, it has such a sort of back to school, have I done my homework feeling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I do. It's, it's nice to, I, well, I just like to eke out the weekend. I'm not really a living for the weekend sort of guy in that I'm not partying. But um, I think you're quite good at weekends, actually. I try my best, but also... It's I mean, you're quite good at weekends during the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the point. I still get so <laughs> fixated on what we're going to do at the weekend when my work is all over the place. And um, we'll talk, talk about work culture, working hours and working culture yes. later. What about you? How has your week been? Well, in case you haven't realised or noticed, David Cameron is back. Yes, the comeback kid. Mm. I was hoping that um, when we we saw him um, coming back, that he would finish off that little tune that he dirdered as he left the last time. Do you remember that? I resisted tweeting about chaos and stability and strong government. <laughs> did you notice? I did. I thought that took extraordinary restraint on your lot, part. It took a lot of self-control. Um, I was quite surprised. Mm. What do you think? I, mean, I wasn't surprised once it happened, if you see what I mean. But I was surprised when it happened. So, what do you think is going on then? What's your take on it? Well, the immediate thing I thought was of Gordon Brown bringing back Peter Mandelson. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah, and I think it's something about having people who've been there. Would you rather have somebody who'd been there? 
but it's uh, an it's an interesting I mean, one. Been there as a sort of you know been there and you know I think Kevin Brennan asked the question in the House of Commons: Can you name his most successful David Cameron's most successful foreign policy achievement? Well, this, this, this well this and is then, this, and Rishi Sunak said he hosted a summit. <laughs> This is the point, though, isn't it? Because if you think about Gordon Brown bringing back Peter Mandelson, there is a sense of there's an election coming up, um, Peter Mandelson, for whatever um, people think of him. There's, there's this sense that this was a man who knew how to win an election and was part of that strategizing. Whereas it doesn't necessarily feel like David Cameron is the person who is going to be better at being foreign secretary than anybody else available. I think the interesting thing is, though, that maybe also what he thinks is in 2016, people remember the whole Danny Dyer, David Cameron thing. Yes. You know, about well, what did Danny Dyer said something very rude about him. Anyway, uh, but I think maybe what, David, what, what Sunak thinks is, well, now that we've had Liz Truss, Boris Johnson, maybe David Cameron doesn't look so bad. So that's the sort of yes, it, for him. But it's it's a weird. Um, that's that's a, weird, a slightly weird perception, and I understand that it's been so chaotic in recent years. It's like plucking somebody from the 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 most recent version of stability in 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 living memory or in conservative memory. But I don't know if that's really how people think of him, given how his premiership ended. Is it? Well, I think that might be right. But presumably, I mean, like, so Rishi Sunak doesn't seem like the sort of person who does anything on gut feeling. So presumably, there's internal Tory polling on what their voters think of Cameron. I think it's more that he's just thrashing. If I'm honest, I think it's more that he's thrashing around. I mean, he is obviously ridiculous to say, I'm the candidate of change to attack Keir Starmer as 30 years. And what does he say? He said some weird thing about how Keir Starmer was the embodiment of 30 years of status quo or something and then he brings back the man who is actually the embodiment of the of 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 a long part of the status quo david cameron i mean is definitely that he's strategically all over the shop i mean it just feels like eastenders bringing back wixie to try and boost the ratings (laughs) doesn't it that's 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 what it feels like well maybe that is the maybe that's the best uh summary um of it and how about you because i I guess he was Uh, like am i coming back (laughs) have you gone anywhere I mean, but but he he was always like the Alan Prost to your Ayrton Senna, wasn't he? Oh, interesting analysis. First one that sprung to mind. Um, what does that mean in practice? I mean, like you you were these two um, quite fierce rivals, what? certainly because we we all remember Prime Minister's Question Times and uh, the debates. I in think the I do election. have a slightly odd relationship with him in the sense that. Well, I always thought that it's quite important not to sort of despise your opponents, you know what I mean? Not to get into, because I thought, I think there's something about it clouds your sort of judgment. And sort of because I fought him for five years, I sort of, I don't know, I feel sort of, I don't feel, you're lots of people, well, I don't know, I find it difficult to dis- describe. Uh, how, how easy is he it? He occupies a particular place, which is, you know, I sort of don't, I spent my time attacking David Cameron. Okay, I did some tweet about clown emoji and stability and strong government. But you know what I mean? It's not my... I sort of feel like I've done that with David Cameron. I've had the sort of that bit of my relationship with David Cameron. And I think it's sort of, you know, not to get... It's important not to go back to that and keep sort of... Almost like keep, you know, me continue to sort of fuel a kind of some rivalry from 
2010 to 15, or not rivalry, but sort of animus. Yeah, but it's it's weird that you stand across from these people like every Wednesday, and I, the the whole way it works is that they you have to come up with often quite personal insults. Yeah, I mean you're you're throwing them out, so it's not just like you're taking taking it all like a punch bag. But um, does, don't those feelings go somewhere? And they go into therapy. <laughs> And what, what do you think is in it for him? I think people you said people say just unbelievably bored. I mean, look, we don't really want to completely overlook the whole Greensill, and you know, I mean, I don't think he's had a very glorious post premiership, has he? No, but then I, I, I think I, he was bored. I think he was bored. I think he was young. He's quite young mm. for a former prime minister, and he was bored. Yeah, I think people are quite insulated from what the perception of them is as well so because so, by and large people are nice so yeah it, it might be the case that he's walking down the street in chipping norton and a van goes past and they roll down the window and shout wanker at him but by yeah. and large it, people are nice to your face aren't they so i wonder if yeah. he's quite oblivious to what people think of him well i think in a way partly in politics you've got to be don't you yes but then where's the you line think you've got to think well i'm just doing this because i mean who wouldn't want to be foreign secretary and, you know, at an unbelievably difficult time for the world and trying to do, as you see it, a sort of role, playing a role? But do you not it's think not it... surprising that he was keen to come back, I don't think. And you don't think there's any voice in his head that thinks, am I being delusional here to think that I'm the person for this at this point in history? I don't think that's what he's like. You don't think he's plagued he, with a, a lack of confidence? Self-doubt, I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> is, um, do you think Foreign Secretary is the only like, cabinet job an ex-Prime Minister could realistically do? Because Home Secretary... Well, it probably does play that kind of role, yes. I mean, I think yeah, it's probably true that it has its own sort of well, status and kind of role. And there's those three great offices of state. And, and both Chancellor and Home Secretary feel a bit too much like, I don't know, having to roll your sleeves up and and, and get in there for an ex-Prime Minister. Whereas there's, I suppose, it's the ultimate version of diplomat, isn't it? Foreign Secretary. Yeah, it, just, it, it occupies a particular role, I think. I think it just it occupies a particular, uh, yeah. What's um, the precedent for it happening here? I know Frederick Reinfeld, former Swedish Prime Minister, came back as their Foreign Secretary due to my wow. peculiar interest in um, That's Sweden. That's interesting. I think there is long. There's a long ago historical, okay. like something like yeah, yeah, two hundred years ago or something. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Speaking of um, speaking of my interest in Sweden, how's this for a smooth segue? Yeah. Um, 
I wanted to talk about a thing in The Guardian by Leah Harper on Sweden's work culture. Oh, yes. Go on. So, so there's a thing that companies offer over there. They, they offer up to around £375 a year per employee to use on wellness activities. So this can be anything from uh, stopping smoking to horse riding. Amazing. I'm just looking at the article. It's really interesting. It just shows how they prioritise employee wellness. Is it a government thing, though? I, th- I think it's some kind of policy where companies get some kind of tax break, probably, for providing it, and then it's very commonly provided. Do you know about FICA? No. So FICA is... I mean, it's one of these central things in Swedish work life. The The whole office stops for coffee and cake at some point in the afternoon. What, every day? Yes. And no, no employer would dream of messing with fika. It's so part of the culture. And it's quite interesting because it's um, communal, it's social. So it gets everybody together in the same place. Not to say you might not talk about work during fika. I'm sure you do because it's a very um, like collaborative work culture over there but it kind of forces people to talk and take a pause and and be together and i think that's a really interesting cultural thing that has survived across the happened at the same time and it just is set by a workplace at a particular time yeah but it's not the same in every workplace no i don't think it's um it's like the clock strikes three i mean i'd be interested in whether we've got any swedish listeners if anyone's still listening um uh, can you tell us whether they have fika experiences? My experience from talking to Swedish friends is it, is, is it's um, still it, going. It's still going, and it's not something that they'd mess with. And it's it's There's in, not much fika in my office. Well, maybe there should be Ed. Maybe maybe this is the point. So I do buy cakes from my office quite a lot. But you've got to stop and enjoy the cakes together no. as a shared experience because that's, you see, I, oh, this is good. I mean, this is this cheerful chatteroo is partly therapy uh mutual therapy i mean you know i am very much a workaholic as you probably know yes how often do you reflect on that um now's the first time (laughs) but 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 why do you think you're a workaholic uh because i think my parents were very hard working my dad in particular or my mum too and uh a sort of sense of kind of if it doesn't sound too pious sort of duty to make the world better and all of that and then you know, if you are choosing somebody to get you out of that mindset, I don't think with the greatest of respect for him, because obviously I have deep, deep affection for him, Gordon Brown will be top of your <laughs> list of the sort of, you know, kind of non hardworking kind of boss, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I mean, if you were choosing him or a sort of Swedish fika merchant, <laughs> I think you probably would choose a Swedish fika merchant. So I think that's made, and then I think, so I think, and basically then it sort of made me quite a lot like that too. So, I, I find it weekends very, I find it very difficult, even when I don't have lots of work to do at a weekend, to convince, to convince myself that not working at a weekend isn't some dereliction of duty. What percentage of Swedish people do you think work overtime? 30%. One. Crumbs. And they're no less productive as a country. But I think it's it. because also, this is why it's important to sort of put in a, not a caveat, but just a thought, which is, I presume it's because pay rates are enough that people can live without having to work overtime. Yes, I, th- I think there's a whole bunch of things, but there's, there's a cultural thing about not doing it 
as well, isn't it? Like, and do you not think young people are better on this stuff? So I will hear right. people our age saying, oh, some of the young people, they drive me insane. You know, when I was their age, I'd stay in the office till 11 at night yeah, to prove how great yeah. I was. And and they won't do it. You know, they won't answer an email on a weekend. And I think it's only a good thing. Schedule send is a big innovation, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. So you can your emails can pop up at a reasonable yeah. time, not at four in the morning or whatever we used to do. But um, I do try. I mean, my staff will guffaw if they're listening to this. But I mean, I do try and sort of think to myself how annoying I used to find it when Gordon would just ring all hours and try not to do it. It's hard. It's hard in politics because dynamism and speed is important. But what if you turned your phone off at five o'clock? What would what would happen? And didn't turn it on again till nine the next morning. Uh, the roof would fall in. <laughs> no, but what would what would what would happen? No, I think it'd be fine. I mean, you know, I said that thing to you about Ken Clark never had a mobile phone. And yeah, I was once trying to do an article with him and couldn't get off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. In the cricket. Um, I think it's you know I think it's not so much that. Although I do not, I don't, as you know, take my phone on holiday. It's more being able to sort of. Not necessarily have your phone off, but be able to. Well, I don't know. I was going to say it's more being able to kind of to to sort of multitask, but maybe that's just not. But I also think every, every time you're reading a text and every yeah, time yeah, you're yeah, looking yeah. at an email, yeah. you, you if you've got a pie chart of your life and you need yeah, to have yeah. some kind of equilibrium, you, you're allowing the work bit into into a bit where it doesn't yeah. belong. I think this takes me to something I was going to talk about actually, which is uh, a book club. Uh, in uh california um and this book club has been reading the book finnegan's wake by james joyce for 28 years wow uh i mean it's quite an extraordinary story this is by lois beckett um and it's from earlier this month uh and it's basically 10 to 30 people would show up month to monthly meetings at local library at first they read two pages a month eventually slowed to just one page per discussion. At that pace, the group, which now meets on Zoom, reached the final page in October, and it took them 28 years. Apparently, this could well be a record, says Sam Sloat, a Joyce expert at Trinity College, Dublin. I don't, I don't suppose you've read Finnegan's Wake. It's, it's never appealed, I'll be honest. I've ordered, now ordered a copy, by the way. <laughs> so you know what you're doing for the next 28 years. It sort of inspired me. But, you know, I loved it. There's a sort of final... Uh, uh, I mean, this this article is just like really, really funny. But there's a there's a there's a final sort of denouement, which is one of the people says that media reports saying this group has finished the book are wrong. We didn't end because the last sentence of the book ends mid sentence, and then it picks up at the front of the book. It's cyclical. <laughs> so in November they started back on page three. Now, I mean, how how much time do you think they're spending actually talking about the book? Because isn't the point of book clubs like so many other things in life that it's just a wave it's a structure for people to connect yeah i mean i think you're probably right but i think this takes i think i, I then sent you a, a an ezra klein transcript and maybe we can put this in the show notes um uh because and he sort of introduced me to this concept of sort of deep reading and the way that reading a book is different than reading a screen mm. uh and, and I think the point is, it's an author called Marianne Wolfe who he had on, and it really, um, he, he's done a couple of episodes on this. And, 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 
I mean, I don't want to sound like an old fogey because I think then we, you, you and I end up sort of slightly, which is not a bad thing, slightly disagreeing about this because it makes me sound uh, sort of too negative. Anyway, this this author, Marianne Wolf, is the author of a book called Read a Cup Home, The Reading Brain in a Digital World. And the basic argument, I think the basic argument is there is something about the contemplation of reading which is very different than the sort of skimming of reading electronically. Mm. Uh, even as I'm saying this, I can tell your scepticism. No, no, I'm not. I've got really mixed feelings on it. So I think I consume more letters of text than at any point in my life, but I also read fewer books that, than at any point in my life. And I feel both shame and regret about that. I used to be this huge reader of books, and now I'm a huge reader of links and Twitter and in- Instagram or, or blogs or whatever it is. And I don't feel good about that. And then I think I think a way in which I try and make myself feel better is by saying, well, you know, there's no inherent superiority of books as a medium. It's just information going into your brain. But it, but I think there probably is um, something better about the type of deep reading that you're, uh, that you're describing. Okay, so I think this is the, really the fundamental point, you see. So, so Ezra Klein has a thing in here where he basically says, look, th- that this is part of the problem is that we, we, sh- we think about reading as, and that you'll get this cultural reference, which I don't, is it the, it's like the matrix where you put something in the back of somebody's head and download information to them. But that's not really what reading is about. Mm. It's not about a sort of, it, it's not about information being, channeled into your brain so that you know some facts it's as much about uh yeah matrix is this part of the issue here he says that we have operated with the wrong metaphor so i wonder whether we've gotten into thinking what i think of the matrix jack theory of learning i've always wanted the thing in the matrix where they put the little needle in the back of your head the jack and then you know kung fu and he actually says there's another book that he also recommends called Nicholas by Nicholas Carr called The Shallows. Yes, which is about this. Yes, yeah, yeah. This is about how we we, we all go so much broader than we ever used to, but we don't go very deep, and that's exactly what it is with reading. You never get absorbed in a, a Twitter I did actually, thread. Rather ironically, I did actually buy The Shallows and I've never read it. <laughs> <laughs> I was too busy online. Um, you see, it'd be better if you bought the shallows but just skimmed it. Oh, uh, yeah, well, that is true. But, you know, even as I'm saying all this, does it just sound too sort of Luddite? I don't know. I don't know if it's that we romanticise reading or uh, or if there is something in this idea of deep reading because th- there is, like I say, there's this absorption. Uh, you can get really get lost in a book and that has value in and of itself independent of how you're taking in information or a story or a plot. I tell you what I would make a sort of slightly left-field analogy with is that I don't know whether you noticed, but when you are on, when you are travelling, I find it on, on planes when I'm going a long distance or on trains when I'm going a long distance. So I just was on a long train ride to Aberdeen, which was six or seven hours up and six or seven hours back um, with a couple of my poor uh sort of staff members who had to be sort of with me. Uh, but it made a big difference. There's something I find that, that those moments are quite creative moments because you can't really, the phone reception is kind yeah, of bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're quite, and you're not, 
did you, and I think it's a sort of similar thing. Did you find this? That when yeah, you've got I, I, a, long, like a, play, a long plane journey or a long train journey, it can be quite creative. Yeah, because you, you're suspended in time. It, it feels like you're, I don't know, sort of insulated well, from the off. world. Yeah, well, you're, you're sort of rarely cut off. Yes, and and we can all like curse the Wi-Fi on trains or even on planes they have it now, don't they? But actually... Uh, in a way, I don't want it to get any better because I really like just being in a in a train carriage in this capsule, sort of suspended in time, hurtling from one point to another. You're forced into a different mode that you just can't get into. Um, I went round to somebody's office recently, somebody incredibly um, successful in their field, and they don't have Wi-Fi. So they've got a deliberately, com- yeah. They've got a computer that they work on, but it is not connected to the internet. I mean, look, I have been much happier since I stopped being on Twitter, mm. which is like two years now. Yeah, yes. I mean, I do tweet, but you know, I just don't. I'm not what they call it doom scrolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't get any FOMO. I don't really. Although some people say that you miss out on a lot. Now, I was actually wondering what reading the transcript of this Ezra Klein Marianne Wolf conversation. What's the um, way forward. Um, as she says, it's about reading in the morning and reading in the evening, or reading in the evening. Uh, he says, um, by then I'm exhausted. Yes. So maybe it's about during the day. I, but I'm not sh- Yeah, I, don't I, can, I can't bedtime read, but I would love to. Sarah's really good at it, actually. I think she sort of carves out 40 minutes in the morning where she reads. Um, I know, but it's just totally, un- I feel like it's totally unrealistic. For me, I mean, I just don't think it's realistic. But, but are we back to the work culture thing? In that, if you just did it, say, say you lived in, I don't know, St Albans, and you had to commute to London every day to do your job or three days a week or, or whatever it is, you would be forced into a situation where you couldn't be replying to emails and texts, so you could read a book. And and you would just have to find that time. I did a course years ago on meditation, and and the idea was you should do it for twenty minutes each day. And the most common reaction to that was, well, how am I going to find you know twenty minutes each day? And the answer was, well, if you're asking that question, there's why you need to meditate. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, one of the things I found I really rather enjoyed about what do we call the thing we used to do? Reasons the- to be. <laughs> no, no, but it's like ah. Uh- Previous our previous life. incarnation. Our previous incarnation before we went through the Doctor Who trans transmogrification uh, is that we used to have authors on, and it would sort of force me to read a book. Yes, but the, I was reading quite. Yeah, a speed yeah, yeah. Of, no, I mean, I, I like Seth. I, I feel like I read fewer books than at any point in my life, but I am constantly skimming books by people i have to interview and i so often i will think to myself i must go back and read this properly and then then you never do because once you've skimmed it you're just not going to do that are you yeah what's the solution then go to this island no but i do think it's I, i do think there's something in the idea of like drawing hard lines and and making sections of your time you see ezra quotes sam bankman fried saying uh why would you need a book when you could have a six-paragraph blog post? And in a way, I think that is part of the problem. Is I, I think it goes back to this thing, which is, you know... It depends on what it is, though, doesn't it? Because at the moment, Gene 
the book I'm reading him at bedtime is Michael Morpurgo. Um, it's Shakespeare's plays written for children in the form of stories. That's good. Well, and that's they're quite good. short, but I am reading them and it does feel a little bit like reading cliff notes of Shakespeare plays aloud. Oh, now, I've never been a big Shakespeare oh, fan and I'm, I'm Sarah's coming home every night and saying, you would not believe what Polixenes did, but it's, it's, it's not the well, same. that's good. Yeah, but will I then go and... Um, Start reading the plays or go into theatre. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm not quite sure about that Sam Bagman Freed thing. Um, no, I don't agree with the Sam Bagman yeah. Freed thing. I, mean, I think that's definitely wrong because I think that interprets, you know, the idea that um, reading is about absorbing one argument that somebody might be making in a book, but that isn't what reading really is. No, no. And I think not. it's this thing about contemplation. Yes. Um, but I just wonder whether we're just being sort of, we're sort of howling at the moon slightly. <laughs> On that subject, um, I was reading a thing again. It was in in the Guardian. No, I do, I do um, no, consume I... stuff from a variety so of, do I. of sources. It just so happens that the uh, the ones that we picked for this week are from Guardian. Um, about the UK's first vinyl hotel, which is called Vinyl Pimp, it's in Hackney in East London. And it's basically a big record shop in a warehouse. But if you as a customer spend more than £250 on music, you get to have a sleepover in the warehouse, a night in the record shop. Are you going to do that? I don't, I don't think so. But, um, but we, we have just – we've been getting into records in our house because I got sent the reissues of the Beatles' um, ah, blue, blue and Red albums. Yeah. Uh, and we put a record player in Gene's room. And he is obsessed – with listening to records. Now, he really likes music, and he's always listened to stuff on Spotify and Apple Music, but he he is really enjoying the experience of putting records on. And I was thinking about this, about how on one level it's the exact same experience. Okay, audio files can get into the stuff about, oh, actually, the quality's different. But but music's going into your ears, and that's, that's a sort of visceral experience. But there is just something so much nicer about the tactile experience of putting a record onto a turntable and dropping the needle onto it, and then sitting and looking at the sleeve, or, or even flicking through records and choosing them. It's just a, a far more pleasurable experience I think I did buy my wife a turntable for a couple of years ago, and it sort of didn't think it went very well. I think it was went wrong or something. It was a not a great Christmas <laughs> gift. I think that's a good gift, but it's, again, it's about I guess the likelihood of you carving out time I to know, enjoy I it know. because it is the same thing as as that deep reading. There's listen to music where you're just sort of scrolling through your phone and you're putting it on while you're doing something else, and then there's taking time to sit in a chair and um have that experience of playing a record yeah that's good i, I take it a, re- a sleepover in a record shop wouldn't be for you not really is there anywhere you'd like to do you know a, a night at the museum yeah an ice hotel i've done it you sleep on a slab of ice is it cold ice yeah yeah um <laughs> No, you're in military sleeping bags, so when you're breathing in, the air is extremely cold, which I like in a bedroom, but you are all toasty and warm, and then they uh, come in and wake you up the next morning with hot lingonberry juice served out of ice tumblers. Where was it? 
Um, now, Jukas Jarvik in the north of Sweden, Swedish Lapland. Jukas Jarvik. Yeah. And um, you, you just, you would typically do one night in the ice hotel for the experience, and then you'd move into a chalet for the next couple of nights. And some of these chalets have glass roofs, and you can see the northern lights, and you can go out on dog sleighs and do all these experiences. You could do some ice swimming. Wow. A sauna and ice swim, would you be into I'd that? I'd have to do some ice swimming now, actually. You're doing your open water swimming today, are you? I think so, yeah. What's what she's I've got zap- to do it once a week. What's your zapper saying? Well, it was eight last week. It's a chilly eight. Uh huh. What's the number at which it gets unpleasant? Maximum shrinkage. <laughs> uh, uh, it could it fits pretty unpleasant. Eight. <laughs> Is you this know. your way of telling me you need to go and uh, put your trunks on? I do really. Okay, I've enjoyed this chat. I've enjoyed this chat, Do you think we should do it again? Yeah, same time next week. See you then. See you then. Thank you.